Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Today, we are going to talk about the S word. Yes, a word that really the culture in general, I think, prefers not to use. And the word that I'm talking, of course, uh, about is sin, right? Simple three-letter little word um, that people get offended at. If you tell them, hey, that's sinful, or what you're doing is sinful, or that's a sin. Now, I'll tell you what, here's here's when people do like to use it. Uh, they'll use it when it comes to delicious desserts, right? They'll talk about that chocolate cake as being sinful, decadent, right? There's something about that that's just so good, it can't be right. But let's be honest. When you're eating a delicious chocolate cake, that's actually a gift from God. And so it's the opposite of sin, right? And so uh, today what I want to do is just kind of explore what is sin and what uh, what does it mean for the world? What does it mean for our lives? And how do we, how do we, we, we respond to the reality of sin, uh, our own sin and uh, the effects of sin? Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, glad you're here. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is Episode 20 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Okay, so we're going to talk about sin. And I think that in order to understand what sin is, we have to go back to where sin first showed up in the story, right? And that's, of course, uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Now, when God created the world, God created the world to be a beautiful, wonderful, perfect world, a world in which all was in perfect harmony with everything else, right? In Genesis 1.31, we're told that God looked at, at the whole world. It says that God saw all that he had made, and it was, we're told, very good, it was very good. And it doesn't use um, the word shalom, but I think that the word shalom is a good word to describe the world as God uh, created it, because shalom refers to a comprehensive sense of well-being that touches every aspect of life. And there was shalom. We talked about this in a previous episode. I think it might be episode two or three the fourfold nature of shalom. There were harmonious relationships uh, in terms of four different kinds of relationships. Human beings uh, had a relationship of of shalom and harmony with God. They had a, a relationship of shalom with each other, right? Adam and Eve, human beings, were in harmonious relationship with one another. Uh, they were in harmonious relationship with themselves, Right? There was kind of an inner wholeness that the human beings had, and there was a harmonious relationship of shalom with the creation. Right, The whole world was a world of harmony and beauty and goodness, perfection, shalom, completeness, Right, what God intended it to be. And this word shalom uh, literally, of course, means peace, right? But again, it's so much more than just the absence of hostility, 
right? The world that God created wasn't a world that simply was absent of hostility. It was a world in which everything was as it was meant to be. Again, this comprehensive sense of well-being that touches every aspect of life. God created the world to be a world of shalom, right? A creation of shalom. But then something happened, Something happened that disrupted the shalom of the world that God had created, right? And uh, many of you probably know the story, right? Sin is what disrupted shalom. I'll read to you the story, all right? This is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. If you want to skip ahead, you can because you probably know the story. But let's just read it anyway together, right? So, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, 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 we may eat from the uh, fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Uh, Well, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's the temptation. You will be like God. You can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And you can decide for yourself right now whether or not you think it's good or evil to eat this fruit. So verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, Well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So you can see in this story, right, shalom beginning to crumble. Right, the human beings have a develop a broken relationship between them, uh, themselves, and God. Right, whereas in the past human beings uh, were in harmonious relationship with God. What do they do now? They hide from God. Right, uh, there's broken relationship between the human beings and each other. They they feel shame as soon as they they decide that they can de- uh, that they can choose for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They realize that they're naked. There's a shame, and they hide themselves from each other. They 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 feel like they have to protect themselves from each other. Um, there's a broken relationship between themselves and uh, and their own selves. There's a broken relationship between the human beings and their own inner selves. Right again, the the hiding of themselves, the shame that they feel. Um, and then. There's a broken relationship between themselves and the created order. That's what the curses are all about. Um, I'll, I'll read this to you uh, from Genesis three sixteen to 19. Uh, to the woman, 
He said, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Right. So again, a reflection of because sin is now a part of your story, uh, the natural process of giving birth is going to be painful. And uh, and your husband, there will be a, a brokenness in the relationship between husband and wife in which husbands will rule over wives. Now, this is not a prescription. This is a description of the reality of the world. This doesn't say that, well, because... Uh, I said so, right? Now husbands should rule over wives. No, when husbands rule over wives, that is a reflection of the brokenness of the world. And the reason that happens is just simply that over history, men tend to be stronger and so they can dominate, right? And by stronger, that just means that uh, the husband would win in an arm wrestling match. Not always the case. I've seen YouTube videos. (laughs) Uh, But most of the time, right? And so men have tended to dominate over women. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's the result of sin in the world, of shalom having been broken in the world. All right, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right, but again, this sense that there's this broken relationship now between human beings uh, and the created order and, and the world and nature. Right, The earth isn't just going to effortlessly produce food for you. You're going to have to work for it. And in fact, the earth is going to put up obstacles. Right, There will be thorns and thistles. Uh, we could probably add there will be droughts. Right, There will be um, animals and locusts Right, that eat the, the seeds that you plant, the, the crops that you're trying to grow. Right, the, the world, the relationship between the world and human beings has been broken. Shalom has been broken. Right? That's what happens when sin becomes a part of our story. Shalom is broken. Um, I love Cornelius Plantinga's definition of sin, description of what sin is. Listen to this. He says, sin is disruption of created harmony and the resistance to divine restoration of that harmony, right? So harmony existed, sin disrupted that created harmony, and now sin is our ongoing resistance to God's desire to restore that harmony, right? Whenever we do something that continues to keep shalom broken or that adds more brokenness of shalom, Uh, We are resisting what God is wanting to do in the world, which is to restore the harmony uh, that God intended from the beginning. He says, God hates sin, not just because it violates his law, but more substantively because it violates shalom, because it breaks the peace, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. And then he says, indeed, that is why God has laws against a good deal of sin. Right? The laws don't exist for the sake of having a bunch of laws in order to get people to be good. The laws exist in order for us to become the kind of people who restore shalom. That's what it's about. Right? 
he goes on, God is for shalom and therefore against sin, right? Sin and shalom can't coexist together. God is for shalom, and because of that, he is against sin. In fact, we may safely describe evil as any spoiling of shalom, whether physically, for instance, by disease, morally, spiritually, or otherwise. He says moral and spiritual evil are agential evil, that is, evil that, roughly speaking, only persons can do or have. Agential, right? We are agents of, of evil. Uh, we do things that are evil, that break shalom. And so he says, agential evil thus comprises evil acts and dispositions. Sin, then, is any agential evil for which some person or group of persons is to blame. In short, sin is culpable shalom-breaking. There it is. Sin is culpable shalom-breaking. Right, let's just break that down real quick. It's culpable shalom-breaking. Culpable because we are responsible. It's not like we can't help ourselves. We can. We make decisions that, um, that cause shalom to be broken. Right? If we say something hurtful to our spouse or to our kids or to a friend or to someone that we work with, right? if we take something that isn't ours, if we feel like we are better than someone else and we, uh, we come across as arrogant, put other people in their place and tear other people down, right? all of these things, are we are culpable of the shalom that is being broken. You know, and of course, there are far more extreme versions of culpable shalom breaking, uh, right? Murder, genocide, right? War, destruction. All of these are culpable shalom breaking, right? We bear responsibility for the brokenness of the world. Now, the good news is that we can also then participate with the restoration of shalom in the world. We can be culpable, responsible uh, of restoring shalom together with God and reverse the effects of sin in the world. Let me give you one more thing from uh, Cornelius Plantinga. He says, in sum, shalom is God's design for creation and redemption. Sin is blamable human vandalism of these great realities and therefore an affront to their architect and builder. That's what shalom, uh, that's what sin is, right? It is culpable shalom breaking. It is blamable human vandalism of the shalom that God intended for the world to have. And so let me just kind of say that, um, you know, we have this concept of original sin, and I'm just not sure that I buy that anymore. I used to. I used to totally buy into the idea of original sin. I used to totally buy into the fact or, or the idea that that we are inherently sinful. Now, I think we have a tendency towards sin, but I don't think that sin defines us because originally, to use the language of original, originally we were human beings. We were creatures of shalom. We were creatures of goodness, Right. We were creatures who lived in harmony with God, with each other, with ourselves, with the created order. That's our original condition. Sin is a violation of that. Sin injected itself. Now, 
We are culpable for allowing sin to be injected, right? In some ways, I think the serpent represents the injection of sin, of of our desire to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil, right? And when we do that, when we don't trust the God who created us, a God of shalom, right? The God who longs for shalom in the world. When we don't allow God to guide us into what is good and what is evil, we end up breaking shalom. So we're culpable. But I don't think that that it is inherent to who we are. Um, sin is an action. It's something that we do that disrupts the shalom of the world. Okay, and so the result of sin is that we have a broken world, right? We have a world um, that is racked with violence and pain and suffering, right? We have a world in which people are starving, in which people are um, trying to survive in war-torn areas, right? And and we have we have broken families, we have broken communities, we have uh, people living in poverty uh, in the United States, in in first world countries as well as in. Uh, other other parts of the world that we think of as second world or third world or whatever it might be. The reality is that sin is everywhere and the world is broken because of it. So what do we do? How do we respond to sin? I think that uh, there's sort of there's sort of two parts to the way that we respond to the reality of sin. Um, although I'd say that both of these two parts fall under or into one category, and that category is surrender, right? How do we respond to sin? We surrender. We surrender uh, to the God of Shalom, right? To the God who um, who wants to restore Shalom in the world, to the God who sent his son into the world to demonstrate what a life of Shalom looks like. Right and to to uh, to die a death of shalom. Right, not um, not responding or reacting to the brokenness of the world with force or domination or or further violence, but by allowing himself to be sacrificed. Right, giving himself up. He bore the burden of the brokenness of the world by taking on the violence of the world, and in doing that. Right, ushered in a new reality of shalom for the world. Um, so, surrender, surrender. Uh, I think one of the ways that we surrender is through confession, right? And we we uh, see the the call to confess our sin throughout the scriptures, right? To cry out to God, um, to repent, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. We're called to confess to God, and of course, we're promised that if we confess our sins, right? First John, uh, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we confess, uh, when we truly, and not just like, oh God, I'm so sorry. No, that's a great start, but truly confess with with a heart of surrender, right? What that does is it it restores the relationship of shalom between us and God. Right? There's a restoration of that shalom. There's also a restoration of shalom, I think, within ourselves. Right? God takes away our shame. God isn't interested in us living with shame, 
right, or, or guilt, God wants us to live our lives fully alive. Irenaeus said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. God isn't interested in us living lives of, you know, partial aliveness <laughs> because we're so buried in the, under our shame and guilt. God is interested in us living free and whole um, with joy and peace. And so confession restores that within us. Of course, that also requires some faith, and that's part of spiritual growth, spiritual development, is that we trust that God really has forgiven us. And I, Okay, let me go another little bunny trail here. I think that God has already forgiven all of our sins. Right? I think that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. I believe, I believe that God forgave every sin ever committed. Now, what does that mean? That means that it's up to us then to turn to God and receive that forgiveness. God doesn't force us to receive forgiveness, but God offers it. God has already forgiven us. Right? There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We are called to be reconciled to God. In other words, to have shalom between us and God restored, we do that by putting our faith in Jesus, uh, by confessing our sin, by, um, by, by surrendering, surrendering ourselves to God. Right? That restores shalom between us and God and within ourselves. Right? Confession is so important. Now, confession to God, but also confession to other people. And that may or may not mean confessing to the person that you hurt. Um, some of you know that in the 12-step process, confession is a part of that process. Um, but you know, And it talks about making amends, uh, but not if, not if it's going to be hurtful to them or you, right? And so, but that doesn't mean that confession uh, to other people shouldn't be done. Sometimes when we have committed some sort of sin, when we are guilty of culpable shalom breaking, we need to go to someone. We need to have trusted companions that we can go to and confess our sin. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know what it's like to confess to a priest, but in a sense, that's a reflection of the need to confess to a human being. Uh, I think that we don't necessarily need priests. Um, you know, I I come from the Reformed tradition, and I certainly uh, believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so in my case, Right, I have a couple of friends. We get together about once a month or so, and uh, we kind of just kind of catch up on our, each other's lives and say, well, here are some of the things that uh, I need prayer for. Here are some of the things that I need to confess to you. And, uh, and that's so important because what that does is it makes the forgiveness real. Bonhoeffer, I think, talks about that. Uh, I think maybe it's in Life Together. He talks about the, the need for confession to one another. And then uh, as we receive grace from human beings, it makes the grace of God tangible for us. And we're able to experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness. When we confess to someone that we actually haven't hurt, we're just confessing to a a, a fellow pilgrim, um, we don't receive forgiveness from them but they make the forgiveness of God tangible. They make the grace of God tangible. And so we need to confess. We need to confess our sin to God, and we need to confess our sin to other people. That's sort of the the internal, the inner life um, 
response uh, to sin, uh, the inner life uh, surrender that we need to do. Here's the other, the other way that we need to respond to sin. And again, this falls, I believe, under the category of surrender. And that is that we need to live fully into our vocations. Now, when I talk about vocations, I'm not just talking about your job. Uh, I'm talking about your calling, and there are multiple callings, right? You may have a calling as a mechanic or a doctor or, you know, an author or whatever your job, your the, the work that you do for income, that's one of your vocations. But you also have vocations as perhaps a, a parent, or a son, or a daughter, or a student, uh, or uh, you know, a citizen of the country in which you live, or a member of the community, the neighborhood in which you live. These are all vocations, and so one of the the other way that we respond to sin is by living fully into our vocations, right? Because it is through our vocations, our callings, that God restores shalom to the world. When you, if you're a carpenter, build a house for someone, you are restoring some shalom in the world. You are bringing some shalom into the world because you are providing a place for someone to have shelter, to have warmth uh, in the in the winter, and uh, perhaps coolness and shade in the summer. Right? You are bringing some shalom into the world. Uh, if you are a farmer. You are providing food. You are growing food and nourishment and sustenance for people, for human beings, and for animals. You're you're providing uh, something that the world needs. You are bringing some shalom into the world. Uh, if you are a plumber, right? Sometimes <laughs> uh, I like to think about plumbers because people say, "Oh gosh, who would want to do that?" Right? Um, and and could it really be something sacred? to be a plumber, but absolutely, right? Because what do plumbers do? Plumbers keep our houses and our neighborhoods clean, right? From things that, well, nasty things that carry germs and disease and can uh, bring bring sickness and unwholeness into the world. And when we look at parts of the world where there is sewage running through the streets, we say, I don't think that's what God wants for the world, right? When we see sewage running through the streets, that is an image of the brokenness of shalom. And so plumbers bring shalom into the world by living out their vocation, by doing the work to which God has called them. And so when you live fully into your vocations, you are participating with God to bring healing and wholeness into the world. You are participating with God to restore shalom into the world. Now, your vocation may also include, you know, uh, sharing the good news uh, of God and God's love for the world, right? Uh, and and the fact that God sent His Son Jesus into the world, right, to demonstrate a life of shalom and to die a death of shalom and to be raised again. In a, in a glorious body of perfect shalom, right? And that's also part of our vocation, is just to make the good news of God's incredible love for us known 
That's a restoration of shalom because what God is moving us toward is a new heavens and a new earth in which shalom is the only reality we know. Right? What we read about in the book of Revelation, um, whatever literally happens <laughs> in the eschaton, right at the end, in the uh, final, uh, the final ages, in, in eternity. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's going to be look like, and I try to hold all of that loosely because God is probably going to surprise us. But I think what we can know for sure is that uh, the new heavens and the new earth will be a reality in which shalom reigns. Right? That's the kingdom of God, a kingdom of shalom. So that's good news, right? <laughs> uh, sin does not get the final word in the world. Yes. A serious, serious problem for us personally, uh, each of us, right? Our lives are broken because of sin. The world is broken because of sin. Our neighborhoods are broken because of sin. Our workplaces are broken because of sin. But God is moving us toward a world of beauty and goodness and and let me say that whenever we see beauty and goodness in the world, wherever we see it, that's shalom, right? Uh, wherever we see healing of some kind, health, people, people's relationships being restored, that's the activity of God in the world. And that's the activity of human beings participating with God to restore shalom in the world. That's where all this is going. And so as much as the reality of sin and brokenness in the world today is discouraging. We live with hope that God is going to restore shalom and we get to be a part of that with God. That's our encouragement today. And I'm so glad that I got to spend this time with you just reflecting on the, the hope that we have. I look forward to being with you next time. And so I'll see you next time here on Spiritual Life and leadership.